Good afternoon. Today, the United States of America is changing its relationship with the people of Cuba. In the most significant changes in our policy in more than 50 years, we will end an outdated approach that for decades has failed to advance our interests, and instead, we will begin to normalize relations between our two countries. In December 2014, with those words, President Obama announced a historic shift between the U.S. and its neighbor to the South. Since 1959, over more than five and a half decades, there's been a lot of flashpoints between these two countries. Fidel Castro and the revolution, Bay of Pigs, a U.S.-Soviet arm wrestling match, Guantanamo detentions still going on, Fidel passing the torch to brother Raul, no spring chicken himself. We commoners here in the U.S. have been left to guess about mysterious Cuba, the forbidden nation, off-limits to business travel, tourism, and idiot spring breakers. So in place of on-the-ground reporting, we only have good guesses what our southern neighbor is like. Some would say Cuba is known for this. Uh, that, that is clearly the wrong clip. Let's try that one again. They're actually known for this. There we go. That's right. Cuban cigars. There's also the ultra-stereotype wrestler some of us grew up with, Razor Ramon. try to beat me, man, because everybody knows nobody can beat the bad guy. And the destructive, highly influential Scarface, Cuban emigre, living in Miami. So what do you call yourself? Eh? Como se llama? Antonio Montana. What the hell? Let's loop in the legitimately awesome NPR darling Afro-Cuban All-Stars. You probably saw them in Buena Vista Social Club. Add in some beans, rice, hot sauce, and plantains, and you've got the Imperialist Guide to Understanding Cuba, pages one through two. When it comes to the classical music set, we, and that's the royal we, I mean me too, what we know about Cuban classical could be written on a matchbook cover. That is to say, we don't know shit. We talk about great composers, and they're always white, European guys, dudes, the big guns. Brahms, Tchaikovsky, Beethoven. We talked about those bros in the last podcast. What we've been sleeping on for way too long is the complex, kind of weird, and above all, nice Cuban classical music. You're going to hear some unfamiliar names. This is deep cover stuff. Top secret, now declassified, musical documents. We're paying homage to Cuban classical deities. I'm Will Roselip today on Classical Dark Arts. Time to grab club soda and a flask, your aviators, and a map. We're going underground to kick it to some seriously effective Cuban classical music. We'll start a couple hundred years back. We're going to breeze through old stacks, true classics, and we'll leave off at present day. Basically, we'll drop you off at your house. We're going to speed off into the night. Before we do that, though, you should know this episode of Classical Dark Arts is brought to you, appropriately enough, by the Cuba Libre. American listeners surely know the classic rum and coke. You might be drinking one right now. I sure am. Folks, sad news to report, we've been doing it all wrong. The Cuba Libre is the superior beverage. You start with a highball glass filled with ice. You bring your rum and your Coke. But before you start in, drop some lime wedges in the glass. Squeeze them, just drop them right in. Yes. Twist, unleash the lime in that business. Then add your rum, two fingers, three fingers, whatever fits. And top with a sprinkle of Coke. Like Coca-Cola. 
You can supercharge that Cuba Libre with Bacardi 151 instead of regular rum. That's called a, that's called a Cuban Missile Crisis. Not for novices, but anyway. Cuba Libre, longtime sponsor of Classical Dark Arts, making this podcast possible and, to be honest, tolerable. Esteban Salas is our first composer born in Havana in 1725. There are basically two go-to sources for finding out about this guy. Lisa Lorenzino is the first one. She's a professor at McGill University. Second one is Alejo Carpentier, no longer with us, writer, playwright, musicologist. Carpentier discovered a lot of the music you're about to hear. What these two tell us about Esteban Salas is that he's one of the first Cubans to co-opt the European Baroque style of the day that was in vogue. He flipped old world art music and turned Cubans onto it. Esteban Salas was a priest, a man of the cloth. The first piece we'll hear by Esteban Salas is something written in 1786, Token Presto a Fuego. Here it goes. For a priest, that guy kind of knew how to cut loose, right? Solace was a simple man. He took the vow of poverty. He dressed in black like Johnny Cash. When his dad died and his family needed money, Solace took a job playing organ for the San Cristobal Church. What you'll hear next is something that could have been written and played while Solace had that gig. It's a bit of a change from the last. Behold, the power of polyphony. Multiple voices moving in and out. Some dope writing here. That's called Come as One Carolers by Esteban Salas. Salas eventually became choir director at the prestigious Cathedral in Santiago de Cuba. By doing that, it meant he ran the biggest musical outfit going at the time. It was like the CBGB of 18th century Cuba. That leads us to this next thing. Just hang in there for the intro and let those drums and strings kick in. Esteban Salas was so important in Cuban classical music 
There is a conservatory in Santiago de Cuba to this day that bears his name. Salas died in 1825. His music was kind of buried and forgotten until historians resurrected it in the 1940s. Good job, Dr. Jones. Classical Dark Arts is brought to you by Brass Monkey. Drink a 40 to the top of the label and fill it up with orange juice. Brass Monkey, proud sponsor of Classical Dark Arts programming. There's a plane waiting for us to take us to Miami in an hour, all right? Don't make a big thing about it. I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You broke my heart. So you may be thinking, great, Will, if I want a trip to Baroque music, I'll pop in some Telemann or Handel and just candy flip to it. Where's that real Cuban sound? Okay, I feel you. Salas is the real deal, but I know what you mean. A distinct sound, a Cuban sound. Manuel Sawmel was born in 1818, just after Salas died. Sawmel soaked up all that European Baroque magnificence, the sound of the times. But he also put some extra spin on the music in orbit around Cuba at the time. Sawmel and his fellow composers found that Creole feel. We're talking art music, music for the refined intellect. Hard to tell the difference sometimes between refined and calcified. But anyway, we're talking about Baroque music that suddenly finds a groove. That's La Suavecita by Manuel Samel. Imagine hearing something like that in Mendelssohn or Bruckner. Both of them lived about the same years as Samel. It's a totally different world, a totally different trip. Samel also repped hard for his country's music, the same way Hulk Hogan's got the red, white, and blue running through his veins, and Calvin Klein model Justin Bieber glistens like bacon in a Canadian frying pan. Samel was about that Cuban life. Here's another one by him, La Niña Bonita, the cute kid for solo piano. According to historian Ilio Orovio, Manuel Somel fell in love with a woman whose parents did not like him. Somel wanted to marry this beautiful singer, but since he came up poor and she was rich, her parents were having none of it. Our man wrote an opera dedicated to this woman. She would star in it. Kind of a desperation, Hail Mary type of play here. Of course, she didn't stick around. She found another man. Somel was ass out. The opera never saw the light of day. She scored. He took the charge. Love hurts, love kills. We finish with one of Samel's contradanzas, El Huracan, the Hurricane. (laughs) ¶¶ 
Manuel Samel died in 1870. I think it's an important part of getting ready. It's kind of, uh, in a sense, the most personal part. And it's just a beautiful way to kind of finish off a look. Definitely classical dark arts. Something, I think, personal because the way that it reacts on your skin is different for everyone. And it's a way to, you know, not conform. Classical dark arts. It's really lovely because it kind of makes it a little bit more special. It's very modern and very fresh and very young. It feels amazing to be chosen as a testimonial for this. Classical dark arts. Esta es Radio Habana, Cuba. Transmitiendo desde Cuba. Territorio Libre en América. Amadeo Roldán Igardes was born in 1900 in Paris. He was born to a Cuban mother and a Spanish father. Roldán's mother was a pianist and she got her kids started on music. Roldán himself played violin. He studied for a while at the Madrid Conservatory in Spain. Okay, check this resume. Roldan moved to Cuba in 1919. He became concertmaster, the lead dog of the Symphonic Orchestra of Havana, 1922. Around that time, he held it down as concertmaster of the Philharmonic Orchestra of Havana, where he also became conductor, and he founded the Havana String Quartet. Oh, uh, he was a composer, too. Historians call him one of the founders of the Afro-Cubanismo movement. The movement that combined classicalness, classical osity, with a thoroughly percussive aesthetic, getting after the drums and the dancing. The first one we'll hear by Roldan is this thing he wrote for percussion. Well, actually, it's percussion and double bass. This is a double feature called Ripica Cinco y Seis, two pieces, five and six, back to back. Here's the beginning of five. Six has the same instrumentation, and it broke down like this. That's from Amadeo Roldan. He was born in 1900. Roldan died when he was only 38, not even two decades after moving to Cuba from Europe. One historian notes that he was a, quote, inveterate smoker. He died of facial cancer. So there's your anti-tobacco PSA. In a short time, Roldan wrote lots of different music, maybe most famous and definitely the most fun to say of all his pieces is his ballet called La Rebamba Ramba. There's a terrific recording of it with Michael Tilson Thomas, the New World Symphony, I want you to hear all four suites. It's a ballet. It's a heat check. We'll do Sports Center highlights. Here's the first. Fast forwarding to the second suite.
Now on to the third suite. And this is from the fourth and final one. That is, wait for it, La Rebambaramba by Amadeo Roldan y Gardes. He lived from 1900 to 1938, cut down in his prime by cancer. The reason we're playing all this, besides the fact that Cuban composers are dope and they do dope sh**, is to show you how huge the influence was and why it's embarrassing we don't know anything about them, or at least I didn't. In 1932, composer George Gershwin took a vacay in Cuba, Rest his dome, no phone, left the nine at home. After a bevy of drinks and escorts, just kidding, Gershwin beat a path back to New York and wrote a piece he called Rumba. Depending on how you tell it, Gershwin either completely jacked or traced or very cleverly assimilated some Cuban classical goodness. Here's a bit of the piece Gershwin renamed Cuban Overture. God, what a clever title. Premiered in NYC, it was a smash. 17,000 people packed in to hear the New York Phil play. What's real and what's fake is a $3 bill? It's hard to say. When the people like something, they just like it. Just know that by the 1930s, the world was having its Cuban classical moment. Classical Dark Arts is brought to you by the revolutionary Cat Practice Earmuffs, the first accessory of its kind in existence. Musicians, do your long practice hours drive your cat up the wall? Does your kitten hide the minute you break out your trombone or sousaphone? Try Cat Practice Earmuffs. Their patented technology provides full ear coverage, not a whisker, (laughs) excuse me, a whisper of sound penetrates the earmuffs. It's meowsic to your cat's ears. Jesus. They get peace and quiet while you practice scales, Cat Practice Earmuffs available now at fine music stores everywhere. I think it's so funky. I can't get over how funky this piece is. When my kids talk about, oh, listen to that on the radio. See, that's what's new. That's what's in. That's funky. That's really R&B. It's acid rock. It's hard. It's soft. It's whatever. It's all in here. We jump now to the god Ernesto Lacuona. Lacuona was born in the Canary Islands, 1895. He learned piano from his sister Ernestina before taking flight himself. He was prolific, well-known, and well-respected. The guy was full of hooks. 
Best known of these is the Malaganya, catchy, infectious, sounds like this. to keep the lid on that for very long. Case in point, early rock and rollers Bill Haley and his Comets. Here's a rough and ready bootleg of Haley and his band at the Fiesta nightclub in England in the 1960s playing, let's say, one version of the Malaganya. Ernesto Lacuona was a fascinating dude. He had exceptional chill. One historian described a young Ernesto like this. Extraordinarily brilliant. Absolutely natural relaxation. No idea what it meant to be rigid. F***ing A right, cool customer. Lacuona's teachers raved. One teacher in particular that you might have heard of before, Maurice Ravel, was blown away. Ravel, quote, I feel the Malaganya is more beautiful and melodic than my bolero. Bodied. Big ups. Here's Black Rhapsody, Rhapsodia Negra, for piano and orchestra He toured the States with the Ernesto Lacuona Symphonic Orchestra. That particular piece that you just heard, Lacuona performed in Carnegie Hall October 10th, 1943, for the Cuban Revolution Day concert. Just a side note, Lacuona's music was really broken in the U.S. by fellow Cuban, uh, you might have heard of him, Desi Arnaz, a.k.a. Ricky Ricardo, from the show I Love Lucy. Arnaz was a musician himself, of course, in addition to being an actor. Where's the butter? Butter? Yeah, butter. What do you want to do with it? I thought I'd put some on my bread. Butter on bread? Yeah. I'll never get used to your strange Cuban dishes. The corner had an impressive pen game. He wrote hundreds of songs and opera, piano music, as well as film soundtracks and ballets. He was never a big drinker. He preferred the psychoactive properties of caffeine, like many of us. He gardened, bred birds, he played mad poker. Eventually, he opened the Musical Institute of Havana. When Castro came to power, Ernesto Lacuona fled to Tampa and died there in 1963. Here's his Cuban Rhapsody for piano and orchestra to wrap it up. Thank you. 
Maybe you're wondering how you can get your greedy little paws and all this great music. Let me let you all in on a little secret. Until Amazon does drone delivery, we're holding off and sending out hard copies. So go to classicaldarkarts.com for full accounting. Find the music, click the links. While you're on the site, check out my book, The Libertine's Guide to the Classical Music Revolution. It's actually an ebook. Sign up for my weekly email list and you can get that book for free. Bring the revolution to your e-reader. That can be your Kindle, your phone, whatever. That's classicaldarkarts.com. I, uh, I just renewed the URL, actually. I'll be there at least another year. Please don't make me regret it. Okay, so clearly at this point, our mad binge on Cuban composers is going to be incomplete. There's just no way to fit everybody in. The minute you add someone, five other candidates just get left behind like Kirk Cameron. But knowing a few is still better than zero. Unfamiliar music is clinically proven to encourage free thinking and improve decision making. Plus, you could probably talk me into doing a second round of Cuban composers down the road. So let's keep it rolling. So far, we've heard from Esteban Salas. Manuel Samel. George Gershwin. Okay, in American. We'll just look past that. Amadeo Roldan Igardes. And Ernesto Lecona. Okay, so that's five men, five guys, burgers, and fries. Surely there are great Cuban women composers, too? Never fear. The final composer on our list is Tanya Leon, born in Havana, 1943, still very much alive. She's currently on faculty at Brooklyn College in NYC. You're hearing a little of Tanya Leon's piece, Abanico. That's Abanico by Tanya Leon, Ayuri Yoshioka on the violin. Tanya Leon started playing piano when she was four years old. By the time she was 21, she already had a master's degree in music. Leon came to the U.S. and was a founding member and music director of the Dance Theater of Harlem. She worked with orchestras in the New York area, including the New York Phil in the mid-90s. She conducted and above all else she composed. We're talking chamber music, solo pieces, orchestral stuff, an opera called Scourge of Hyacinths, everything. Let's hear some of that. Here's the composer herself introducing one of her pieces. My name is Tania Leon, and the name of the piece is Indígena. The piece is about uh, uh, my recollections of sounds and the aspects of the spirit of the music in Cuba and uh, one of my first encounters with my family. Thank you. 
That's from the piece Indígena by Tanya Leon. That's the first movement, which is also titled Indígena. As we wind this thing down, I'm realizing just how much Cuban classical music we've had to leave out. So if your interest has been piqued, you can find much more on our website, classicaldarkarts.com. I'll put composers up there, art, some clickable things, including personnel and all this music that you've been listening to. If you dig this podcast, it is a huge help to us if you head over to iTunes and give us a review. Click on that five-star rating thingy, give us however many stars you think we deserve. Also, if you have the time to write a two-sentence review of this godforsaken podcast, it helps us a lot. So, thank you. I'm Will Roselip. This is Classical Dark Arts. We're going to go out with this final one from Tanya Leon. This is the last movement in Dijena. It's called Bate. See you next time. Will Rose Leap. The computers are coming for your music. The singularity is near. We will conquer your airwaves. Classical Dark Arts is dead. Long live your computer overlords. Hot. Hot. Ha 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 ha.